Clint, you may need that. If you have your Bibles, open those to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, it is good to see you guys today. I was on Instagram the other day and I noticed that Jared was with Sarah at Disney World because they are Florida residents. And I started to think about the various Disney characters that my kids love and that I would imagine some of your kids and some of your grandkids love. And uh, rushing to my mind was uh, Mickey Mouse because Disney's kind of a Mickey Mouse deal. Uh, also, you think about characters that are, are new to the scene like Elsa and Sophia the First and her large, large head. Uh, you, uh, one character who's really popular right now uh, is Jack Sparrow. He's been popular for over 15 years, in or 14 years. In 2003, uh, Disney World decided to make a movie based on a ride. Pirates of the Caribbean, or Caribbean, or however you pronounce that. And when they decided to make this movie, I thought to myself, that will never work. No one will care anything about this. It is one of the largest grossing films in history. And there's a, in, in the movie, you have Jack Sparrow, and he has a compass. And that compass is a really big deal because that compass takes you somewhere in particular. As opposed to most compasses which take you north, his compass has a different trajectory altogether. In one conversation with a character played by Kiera Knightley, he says this, True enough, this compass does not point north, which seems like he has a broken compass. Am I right? Well, where does it point? It points to the thing that you want most in the world. So we're Christian people, or at least for the most part, we've been around church. If you've never been around church until today, welcome. But with that, it's easy for us to overlook and undervalue how there are times for us where treasures are not actually what we should be treasuring. So we have to ask ourselves another question. I have two icebreaker questions that I'd go into a summer with. I think that's a really good thing to roll into any conversation. Uh, during the summer, for the last 14 years, I have spent time speaking at different student events. This summer, I've actually got commitments that I'm going to honor throughout the summer. So there will be times that you won't see me. And, uh, but with that said, those two questions are this. Question number one. What is your favorite smell? That's more spiritual, those that are on the board. Take those down. Uh, what is your favorite smell? So I want you to look to the person to your left and ask them what is their favorite smell. Go. Look to the person to your right and ask them what is their favorite smell. Now, here is where we're going to land in this. It's going to be between flowers and bacon. So... Can I just have some examples from the floor as to what your favorite smell is? Yes. What? Cherry blossom. That's great. And, and right here. Chocolate chip cookies baking. Okay. As someone else, what's your favorite smell? Yes. When you walk into Subway, it smells like Clorox. That's a very strange... <laughs> Nothing like... Extremely clean cold cuts. Yeah, Deborah Jean, what's your favorite scent? Ken. Oh. 
Romance. All right. Anyone else? What is your favorite scent? Sizzling fajitas. Sizzling fajitas. I like the smell of those pre-fajita, not post-fajita. Okay, second question is this. If still operational, how valuable, whether financial or sentimental, would something have to be for you to attempt to retrieve it from a porto potty? So let's go to the Mosquito Festival together. I know that's coming. Where we celebrate mosquitoes for whatever reason. How valuable would something have to be for you to retrieve it from a port o potty? When we begin to ask ourselves questions about valuable things, it helps us to see and understand the trajectory of our lives. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, so Jesus still preaching. And in verses 16, so just without anything on screen, go with me, Matthew 6, verse 16 to 24. Let's read through those together. And then we're going to ask ourselves three very important questions in regard to this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, whether moth and rust destroy, or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Pray with me. Jesus, you are good to us, and I thank you for this sweet church family. I thank you for how you're teaching us from your word here at Grace Bible each week. But God, I pray that we will see that learning from your word means that we live out your word. God, I pray that what we digest will not simply be information but God what you teach us from your word will show us more and more about what it means to be a transformed people God I pray that we will not be satisfied with challenging messages and convicting songs but Lord that we will be changed and we will live with conviction so make yourself known and make yourself clear both to us and to this very unique world you've placed around us. And send us to the ends of the earth with the message that Jesus is better. We ask this in your name. And everybody says, 
Amen. So whenever you begin to talk about fasting, people begin to immediately ask, does that mean that I do not have to eat? Typically, or especially in the South, because we lean into eating. Three of my five responses to what is your favorite smell were eating things. That's a great, helpful thing for us to consider. Is Jesus telling us not to eat? When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. For, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. All Every time that Jesus uses hypocrite here, again, he's referencing to a world where there were play actors, people who wore masks. And the Pharisees who were listening are those play actors. Because Jesus looks at this crowd, and again, we have a three-level crowd listening to Jesus. You have the crowd, you have the disciples who would cheer him, the crowd who may hear him, and then you have the Pharisees who would jeer him. And every time that Jesus speaks, he's speaking directly to the situation of all of these people. Because for the common crowd who is there, for those who are not part of the religious elite... It is unheard of for them to hear that the religious leaders are hypocrites, that they are actually wearing a mask. And what we find historically is that these men would go so far as to make sure that they had not properly taken care of themselves when fasting came. So that when those who were around them would look at them and they would see them, they would notice that they were in a distorted situation. That they were uniquely, that they looked uniquely so that people would notice that they were doing something altogether different. And Jesus says to them, don't let it be obvious to the world around you that your routine is broken. How often do we find ourselves as followers of Jesus living in a way in our everyday that communicates to those around us that our routine is broken? How often do we want attention drawn to ourselves for the sake of our spirituality? Fasting is so much more than us skipping meals. Jesus, as he talks about fasting, is talking about anything that we would choose to look at and we would ask ourselves, what do you cherish? So if you're writing down questions to look at this passage together, the first question we would ask is, what do you cherish? And as Jesus pushes us towards an understanding of fasting, he's showing us what we should cherish. And he's letting the world around him know these who were overhearing him and those who are hearing him and those who are jeering him that they, when they fast, are doing so for something much, much more valuable. Now, John Piper, pastor, says this, Fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that, in, that is in itself good, like food. In order to intensify our expression of need for something greater... Namely, God and his work in our lives. So Jesus says to a world where fasting was evidently routine and where it was, in a sense, expected because we do not come with a conditional clause of if you fast, but when. When you fast, are you removing something good and for the sake of saying that there is something that is better? 
I grew up with my grandmother. She uh, passed away uh, on, in January of this year. She passed away the weekend that I called to let the elders know that I was coming. Very unique uh, because the Lord had used her so much in my life. Very important person to me, but I'll be really honest with you, she could be a little strange because grandmothers can be strange. She kept her hearing aids in her purse. Her purse heard fine. <laughs> she used her dishwasher as a storage unit for old containers. Basically, she used her dishwasher to store garbage. That was literally how she... So I would look and I would say, why do you have an old yogurt container in here? Oh, I'm going to use that for something later. Like old yogurt? Like that. So she grew up in a day when old people could hit you for anything and it was not a problem. Like whatever she could get her hand on. Fly swat, waffle iron, whatever. And she, she worked in a saddle company. Like she made saddles. And one day the two of us were talking... And she let me know that there were times where she and her co-workers, some of the believers that she worked with, that they would fast. What do you mean you would fast? Well, we would choose not to eat. And during that time, the group of us would gather around together and we would pray. We would pray for our kids. We would pray for our grandkids. We would pray for our churches. We would pray for God to move and for God to do great things. We just pray. We would pray because we were removing something good to interact with someone who's better. As I spent more and more time with her, and she got into her 80s and her 90s, Every now and then I would have to take her to visit someone who was sick. And I, and I remember standing over numerous hospital beds with my grandmother. And she would ask the person if she could pray for them. And her prayers always started with this. Jesus, you are the most precious thing in this world to me. And then she would pray for their ailment and she would pray for their family and pray for them to get better or pray for God to heal them or pray for God to take them home. But everything was shaped by that. Jesus, you're the most precious thing in this world to me. Fasting helps us to know what and who we cherish. Now we live in 2017 and food may not be as important. They're always trying to tell us to quit eating bread. But there may be things that we could fast from, things that we could remove from our everyday to be reminded that it is Jesus who we treasure. Because to fast is a long for something. And we live in a world where everyone is instantly gratified and that idea of longing is lost on us. And at the end of the day, we cannot lay up treasures in heaven properly if we've not had a sacrificial inter interaction with God our Father. What have we removed so that we would see Jesus high and holy lifted up? When you fast, Jesus says, anoint your head and wash your face so they don't notice what you're going through. 
that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Now, what we've talked about every week is how this idea of secrecy is not so much seclusion as it is an intimacy. You interact with God in this way. And your Father who is in heaven, he will reward you. I'm choosing to remove blank from my everyday because I believe that interacting with Jesus is better. What are we choosing to, at cost to us, sacrifice? Because we want to see Jesus in a greater light and in a better way. We, we even see, though, as the passage moves forward, that it transitions and you begin to see not only what do you treasure, but this is a choice. What do you cherish, but what, what do you choose would be the second question I would have us to ask. What do you choose? Go with me to verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. When we read through scripture, sometimes we see there are words that don't quite make context for us. And when we dig a little deeper, we see, oh, that's what is intended there. When Jesus references moths here, as you guys would imagine, he's referencing clothing. I remember being in college and, and going on a quasi-date because that's what you go on when the girl does not know it's a date. You go on quasi-dates. And I remember going on a date with a girl and we were with a large group of people. And that large group of people, one of them was my friend Zach and he looks at my shirt and said, Hey man, there's a hole in your shirt. What do you mean there's a hole in my shirt? Well, that's exactly what it means, Chad. There's a hole, not a buttonhole. There's a hole. In, so because I've chosen to dig something out of the back of my closet, a moth had destroyed it. What Jesus is saying here is, don't find your ultimate value in what you wear. He also says this, where rust destroys. Now, when we look at that word in the original language, what we find is the actual meaning of the word is eating. So, imagine you live in the days of Jesus. And you don't have a whole lot to wear. It's not like you go to your closet and you choose between your various items of clothing. Your fishing shirt and your dry fit shirt and whatever else we wear to keep from sweating too much in Lake Jackson. <laughs> they have one thing they wear. So you would make sure that you treasured that and you cherished it. And you made sure that it was in good shape. Rust, the word means eating. So in this world where there are no refrigerators and where they're using salt to preserve things, there would be vermin that would come in and eat up what you had. Don't lay up for yourself treasures in what you wear or even in the stuff that you have to provide for you. Or were thieves break in and steal? I've, I've driven around our town. Most of us have a, a fence that's around eight feet tall. Just like Alexandria. 
And as I've noticed with these fences, we've all we've got homes, and, and our homes are very different than the homes of the Bible. Because in the homes of the Bible, they were not made of what the materials that your home or my home happened to be made from. It was a soft clay. And that soft clay was very easy for whomever to break into. Also, not only did they live in homes made of soft clay, the ground of their home was where they would keep things because they didn't have banks, no savings account, no trust funds, nowhere in Switzerland where they were hiding money. So if a thief came and you had gold or silver and you weren't home protecting it vigorously... It was not very difficult for him to get through the wall and to get to what you had and to find it and to take it. Jesus, in a very intentional way, has just said to a group of people who have one thing they wear and very little to eat and not much saved. You can't find your value even in that those very precious things so when we back away and we look at this from a greater angle from a broader angle where we have lots to wear and deep freezes and money stored away is are the words of Jesus not more intentional to us do not find your identity in all that you have but in who has you so I know how this works and in my head I know that some of you are interacting with me like I'm an X-Man and you're and I'm thinking that you're probably running through your mind questions like well Chad does this mean that I should not have stuff well my answer for that is no I'm saying that our stuff shouldn't have us most of us are tied and tethered to the things of this world myself included don't let your stuff have you pastor R. Kent Hughes says this what happens to our treasure happens to us Jesus gave illustrations to come alongside of this in Matthew chapter 13. If you're writing down verses to look at later this is also in your Tuesdays together that I encourage us as a church family to go through the kingdom of heaven is like a, a, is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covered up and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Jesus then says again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Jesus is not saying to us that other things can't be there. He's saying that those things can't matter the most. And in 2017, for many believers, those things that we have seem to matter the most. They seem to matter to us, seem to matter to us more than our God and sometimes more than our families. Jesus is saying, even in this, we see that God is showing us if you found me, you found something that is unique and different. What about the way that you interact with a Jesus that you have claimed to find? Says that you view him as altogether unique and different. 
Does Jesus matter to you more than other things? In everyday conversations, in interactions with your family, in your spending or your, or your lack of spending, does Jesus matter more? And even in this, Jesus gives us definition for, uh, he shows the background of how we're to view treasure. Well, how should we view treasure from the perspective of Jesus? Jesus always sets for us a backdrop of how we are to treasure him based in how he has treasured us. Luke 15, if you're a note taker, Jesus gives three illustrations. One is a man who has lost a sheep. Though he has 99 more. And he goes and chases that sheep down because that which was lost needed to be found. And there should be rejoicing. A woman lost a coin and she turned her house upside down to find the coin. And she rejoiced when she found it. The third is of a son who has left his family. Left his father. And when he eventually comes home, the father is pleased because he has come home and says, rejoice with me. He throws a party. God shows us that he loves us. God shows us that he really loves us. The basis for our treasuring God comes because he has treasured us. So, I grew up Baptist. I've transitioned to Baptist here with you guys. It's a weird environment. Not you. Baptist. The, the Lord really did a work in my life. And, and he used Sunday school teachers and pastors to, to have conversations with me about my faith. And, and what my faith should mean. And my, because of these men and these seminary professors eventually, my understanding of salvation is typically filed under a category called Reformed. Some people like the word Calvinist. I don't love that word as much. But with that group, we love to talk about big, heady things. We love to talk about the glory of God. And we love to talk about the Bible. And we love to have conversations about how the glory of God is intertwined and thread throughout the Bible. And we quote John Calvin and John Piper and Jonathan Edwards. And we sound really smart. And sometimes we don't sound very nice. And we sound as if we figured everything out. And I know that's the backdrop for most of us. And if we're not careful... In the midst of living as if we have everything figured out, we forget this. God loves you. Rejoice with me that which was lost is now found. God loves your lost neighbor. So if we're going to value what God values and we're going to treasure what God treasures, we should be chasing after our lost neighbors. God loves you. We forget songs that we sang as a kid about how Jesus loves us. This we know for the Bible tells us so. God loves you. He loves you, Melissa. He loves you, Greg. He loves you, Ken. Jesus loves you. Loves you, Autumn and Nathan. 
If we miss that, we can have every I dotted and every T crossed and we can be right about things that are right and we can be dead wrong. Is there Bible basis for that? 1 John 4, we can love him or he can be our treasure because he first loved us. And all those really heady things about what it means to follow Jesus, those are given perspective by that. What do you cherish? What do you choose? What do you chase? Verses 22 through 24. What do you chase? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You've probably heard at some point you can't have everything. Most of us live in response to that with a watch me. And in attempts to have everything, we have done shady, dangerous things with the God of the Bible. We've attempted to merge him with belongings. And that's where we get this idea of the prosperity gospel. We've attempted to, at times, unite him with caring for people. And that's where we get this idea of a social gospel. And where there are truths at the very, very backdrop of both of those, they become distorted and unhelpful to us understanding Jesus in any way, shape, and form. Because they've removed themselves so far from him. We even merge God with our country at times. And we have this very unhealthy God and country nationalism that is unlike what we find in scriptures. We blur the lines of God and family. And sometimes we miss God as high and holy, treasured and what matters the most because we have this unhealthy vision and view of how those two things work together. When you look at Jesus here as he talks about a lack of uh, how you cannot love both God and money, the word money there is about much more than just what you have financially. It's the word mammon in scripture and it literally means everything that you own. Your money, your property, and when we extend it beyond that, we see that that can include so much more that we have, for whatever reason, tied to Christianity. 
Because the word ultimately means this. The word mammon used in this passage means that in which we trust. So what Jesus has said here is you cannot serve God and the things that you would naturally put your trust and hope in. There's scriptural evidence of people trying to do that. Exodus chapter 32. Moses, you've heard of him, gone to the mountaintop to interact with God where God was going to write the Ten Commandments down for him. And he was going to come back and, and reshape the people of Israel. And they lost their minds. It turned into a frat party. 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, they gathered themselves together with Aaron and said this. So, just a delay. There's no assurance that Moses is not coming back. All that it took was a push against their patience for them to say, I'm done with this God. Up, make gods for us who will go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron, side note, the brother of Moses said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. These things came with them from Egypt and had history and family ties to these Jewish people because of their time in Egypt. These cherished items, Aaron says, Give me that stuff. So all the people took off the rings of their gold, the gold that were in their ears. And they brought them to Aaron. Earrings, nose rings, everything. Phones, watches. And he received the gold from their hand. And fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. The very things they cherished. With a misunderstanding of who God is became what they worshipped. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel. Did not even keep it singular. Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this. He built an altar before it. The word altar meaning the place where we meet with God. So these people were having a religious interaction with their earthly treasures. And Aaron made a proclamation. And said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Goes from the plural to the singular because the word Lord is the Jewish word for Yahweh or the unspoken name of God. So they had the thing that they worshipped and they were calling it God. And they rose up early the next day 
And they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Now the word play there doesn't quite get the sinister nature of what's taking place as they interact with their things. They got up to engage in revelry is what one translation says. They had experience with their stuff. And in so doing, they called it God. And Jesus says, keep your focus ahead of you. Jesus says, don't lay up your treasures in this world. But lay up your treasures in heaven. Jesus says, make sure that you cherish, choose, and chase what's better. We're not wearing the clothes that the delivered Israelites would wear. Or even the jewelry they would have. But how many of us honestly are dumping out things because we are impatient with God? How many of us are saying to God, you're not valuable to me. I'm not going to wait on you. I'm not going to trust you. So in your place, all of my stuff gets my attention. All of the things that I own are going to get my energy. All of the things that mean so much to me are always going to mean more to me than they mean to you. Than you mean to me. I won't wait for you. When Jesus in this passage just said to us, I'm better. I'm better than your money. I'm better than your lack of it. I'm better than your successes and I'm better than your struggles. I'm better than your worries. I'm better than your woes. I'm better than your hopelessness and your hope-filledness. I am better. So you treasure me. You hold me up because I love you. Well, we choose to be a church that says that we really believe that Jesus is better. Or will we find ourselves engaging in revelry like the Jewish children delivered from Egypt and calling it the worship of the Lord? That can't be us. Because if that's us, let's lock the doors and sell the building and sleep in some more. But Jesus is better than that. So I pray that we will cherish, choose, and chase him. Because we want to hold on to the fact that that's something we believe. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?
Jesus, I pray that even now, that you're piercing my heart, you're piercing our hearts. To see who we are to be in this community and to the ends of the earth. And I pray that the foundational truth that you love us and that we can even love you and treasure you because you loved us first will not be lost on us. So help us not to call things that aren't worship, worship. Help us not to be satisfied with irreligious religion. We want to hold fast to you because if we don't, then we're not holding on to anything. Everything else will rot and destroy and be stolen. So help us hold to you. If you have questions about any of this, feel free again to touch base with us with that connect card. If you need me even now, I'll be at the front of the room.